Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Preferred Walk-On Show, a uh, college football show about college football. We had originally discussed, Jeremy, uh, taking the month of February off. We did. Um, completely forgetting in our end-of-season fervor that National Signing Day was on the horizon. So, Correct. Uh, as, as always. Good, good on us. Be, yeah, good on us knowing everything. We're a college football show about college football. Not about high school football, okay? That's why we weren't focused on it. We're a college football right. show about college football. Now that these kids are college commits or official signees, now we care, right? Now, we ta- now we'll talk about show it. show about college football, that's what was driving us crazy. Obviously, that was it's our like, um It's as a serious college football fan as you are, Jeremy, and oh, as okay. I am, it's like when you listen to NFL podcasters who have not watched any college football all year around draft season. Oh, correct. And they start talking about guys that, you know, college football people know a lot about. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, it's just kind of that funny sort of uh, that's like, oh, they're just finding out about x player right well that's, that's exactly what it is and and so we you know what's funny here is that i'll be honest meach knows a lot more and i'm saying meach like he's not on this podcast with me but to to the to the listeners meach knows a lot more about signing day throughout the year you know or recruiting classes throughout the year than i do i sort of keep up or catch up rather right around signing day um in order to be relatively informed but i'm not nearly as informed as he is so when we're having this conversation take it with that of meech is the one that's actually been paying attention and like you like the analogy you just made of i'm sort of the dude that was watching the nfl all year and then around draft time i try to act like i know what's going on in college football that's kind of what's happening here i'm aware of these these signing day uh especially the signing day fiascos but i'm aware of you know who has the top recruiting classes, who sort of underperformed, some of the big standout players, obviously. Um, but we'll have a fun conversation around this, and hopefully it will be more informed than when you are listening to, you know, when Stephen A. Smith randomly goes, you know, this guy Herbert. Yeah. You know, like, like we all haven't been watching Justin Herbert all year long. Or for, uh, for that matter, three years prior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. For three years. Going, you know, this guy burst onto the scene at senior day. Like, nah, dude, we've, we've known about him for years. It's fine. Uh, but anywho, I guess we should, you know, get into the stuff that we're going to do. You want to start with some news first? Yeah. So obviously the biggest news, I guess you could say, is uh, out of nowhere, the day before signing day, actually, Mark D'Antonio stepping down at um, Michigan State. Yeah, which is just um, straight up like that's just the best thing that Meech could have ever hoped for. Oh, I mean, everyone who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about Mark D'Antonio. One of the most overrated coaches in college football. Um, perpetually, he had two years where I would – he had one season, I think, where you could say he overperformed the talent base on his team by, like, actual effective coaching. Other than that, he is uh, – all of his success, I feel like, you can tie back to – you know, uh, exactly. The teams were always what they were, right? Exactly. They were never, never better than they were, and they were never really team. worse than they were. Yeah. Um, so that being said, like, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on at Michigan State right now. Um, not even just the football program. Obviously, there's still fallout dealing with the Larry Nasser situation. They've gone through four university presidents in, I think, like, 15 months now. Yeah. Uh, which a lot is going on. Insane. Um, 
they have obviously that lawsuit that just dropped regarding an ex-coach and some recruiting, uh, you know, viol- like potential recruiting violations that just got announced two days before D'Antoni, uh, D'Antonio steps down. And they have litigation still pending for four uh, sexual assault, different sexual assault cases um, with players who were dismissed, but uh, w- one or two of them had actually had previous uh, sexual assault um, allegations in their past before getting to campus. Uh, all four of those players have been dismissed, but you know he still recruited them. He was still responsible Ooh. for selling them to the university and, and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the whole thing is interesting because I think most of us, for most of Mark D'Antonio's uh, run at Michigan State, at least in my mind, I know I've felt differently over the last couple of years, and I know you felt differently, but I think a lot of people sort of looked at him as like one of the stand-up dudes in, in college football. Um, you know, one of the consistent, I'm here, my team's going to win eight, nine games, I'm going to, you know, groom young men to be successful, the type of stuff that we sort of idealize within college football, right? And uh, with everything that is surrounding, now, uh, you know, we can't delve into deep details. We don't know all the deep details of what's going on around Michigan state in regards to all the things you just named, but uh, it is sort of suspect timing. Um, and I, I made a point to you before we got on here, at least it was the day before signing day and not the day after where a bunch of recruits had just signed with the school now. And then you came back and mentioned the earlier fall signing day, but nonetheless, you know, at least it gave an opportunity 24 hours notice to the kids that were, uh, going to be signing with Michigan State that he was leaving, but it it is very strange timing. You wonder what Michigan State is going to do now um, because they're still in position to be a very solid football program. Like this is not a bad job to take. Uh, it's a, it's a loaded side of the conference, but certainly Michigan State will have plenty of coaches rumored to be going to them. Uh, you would think. Right, and so we'll start off obviously by mentioning Pat Narduzzi, who was like the first name that came up pretty much immediately after. Um, But he kind of uh, put those rumors to bed by posting the uh, classic uh, Wolf of Wall Street, I'm not leaving. uh, Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, Obviously with his face photoshopped over Leonardo DiCaprio's. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Then uh, Luke Fickle is another name I think I would look for. Um, It might be – it might be too late in the uh, cycle for them to go after these bigger named coaches. Um, obviously, uh, goodness, what's the what's the guy who just got named Interim's name? Um, the defensive coordinator. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's the nephew right of Jim Tressel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim Tressel's nephew. Yeah. Right. That's how we'll just refer to him for the time being. But so he gets named interim. I'm thinking it's almost going to be a situation where D'Antonio stepped down this late to make sure that his staff wouldn't get completely wiped out. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and fired because now any coach coming in, you just kind of have to retain who's there. Yeah, it's, it's Mike, going to be impossible Trestle, to put together way. a staff. That's, yeah, Mike that's Trestle. Mike Trestle. Oh, that was going to um, kill us. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm assuming they will go with Mike Trestle for this year, kind of just punt on yeah. the season. Very uh, Michigan State esque, just punting. Um, but hey, they won a huge game on a punt against Michigan, so let's not. That's a very fair point. That's, that's like one point. of the honestly, it's like the only time they've mattered in the last decade was so, that individual game. Yeah, so that even so, let's say they stay with um, 
With Trestle. With Trestle uh, for the rest of the season. That puts them in a, a, in a spot where they can either try again with Narduzzi in the offseason. Mm-hmm. They can go with – they could try and call Luke Fickle. They could try and call Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan. Um, right. it, like you said, it's a good job. There's going to be people interested. It's just the timing of this. I find it a little strange, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of all that you can say. But Pat Narduzzi did the best job he he could have with that uh, – uh, with the I'm not leaving. Uh, you got to put the rumors to bed somehow, and well, that's, and that's the, the best. That's one of the best ways, ways you yeah. could do it, right? I mean, there's not like when I think about it, especially with just any sort of pop culture reference. Like, I don't really think I can think of a better one. Um, no, that that that's uh, it's like I'm not fucking leaving. Look, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so God, I have to rewatch that movie. That's a, that's a hell of a movie. It's a it's a. Um, when you go back to rewatch it, it's it feels a lot longer than it than it is. Dude, which I, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I think but it's there a was positive. one. I think just so much happens, you know. Right, like I got to one point and I was like, "Oh, the movie's almost over," and then I remember there was a whole nother part, right. and I'm like, "Jesus, it feels well, like I've already watched like a full movie." I think that's what it is. I think what it is is that, and we're gonna break this down. We're gonna get into it. Uh, I think what it is is that the it's like really two different plots, right? Like the first is the right. chase to get there. And then the rest of the movie is obviously like what happens during the destruction of the character. A, a couple I think of- it's almost three parts. I think it's the ascent. Yeah. The attempted well, the- cover up. Right. And then the demise. Oh, yeah. Man, so good. I, all right. So two things about this movie. Uh, <laughs> this Did you see what- Margot Rob- Robbie on hot ones today? No, I haven't. I need to watch hot ones more consistently. I don't do it. You need to go watch. You need to go watch the Margot Robbie Hot Ones interview as soon as we're done talking. Really, it's that good. She gets to so you know there's like ten wings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they progressively get hotter. Of course. She as, after as biting the after biting the first wing, she goes, "Oh, that was very spicy." Oh, and I'm dear like, Lord. "Oh, she's screwed." Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all it right. was. Uh, it don't was awesome. Anything else? But all right. So two fun yeah. facts about this movie. Uh, and then we'll move on to the transfer portal. Uh, the first of all, uh, a girl that I did newspaper with in high school. Uh, movies based on her uncle, like straight up. Jordan Belfort is is, is her, uncle? her uncle. Just straight up, that's her uncle. And I was like, that movie came out when I was in high school, and I was like, uh, so so she told me before the movie came out, like hey, this movie is, like, I was talking about it, and she's like, oh, it's about my uncle. And I was like, that movie that we're... Then I went and saw it, and I came back to school, and I was like, hey, and I'll leave her name out of it. It's like, hey, what, uh, have you seen the movie yet? Have you, have you watched it? And she was like, yeah, I'm, um, I'm uncomfortable. And I was like, you should feel uncomfortable. She's like, I'm more uncomfortable that I told people it was my uncle. Because I thought it was going to be cool. Without seeing the movie? She, well, because yeah, yeah. she, she didn't realize how much sex was going to be in the movie. Like, and drugs. Like, she knew crazy life, huge rise and fall. But I right. don't think she realized, like, how crazy the movie was going to be. And so it became a whole thing. Second of all, saw that movie on a double feature on Christmas Day because I'm a great Jew. And I went. Yes. And while we sent my brother and my mom to go see some animated movie, my dad and I went and saw Wolf of Wall Street. 
and my brother and mom saw something. And then we saw The Secret Life or the, was it The Secret Life? The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, that really terrible Ben Stiller movie that like got a bunch yeah, of Yeah, that one was, was awful. One of the worst things I've ever seen. Back to back with Wolf of Wall Street in a day. And then obviously Chinese food. Uh, so yeah, Pat Narduzzi. Anyway, uh, t- Transfer Portal. Um, might as well just delve right into it. Um, I'm going to name some names here. Okay. A few big names that we got written down here. You can tell me your thoughts. I'll get into my thoughts. So we can start with the, to me, the biggest one, um, KJ Costello. I and mind you guys, we've already delved into the Eric King. We've already delved into Jamie Newman and a lot of the other transfers. These Felipe are Frank's episode, right? <laughs> Frank's obviously the superstar. Uh, but this one's big KJ Costello from Stanford to Mississippi state. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on Costello going to Mike Leach at Mississippi state? Well, so it's interesting because you and I talked heading into uh, last season that KJ Costello was getting a lot of like, hey, KJ Costello could be a first-round pick, uh, like buzz, going into last season. And so I think – so in terms of pure just like physical ability, Mm -hmm. KJ Costello might be the most talented quarterback Mike Leach has ever had. Dude, I said this the other day to someone and uh, someone in my office, and they laughed at me. And I was like, I think Mississippi State's offense could be like one of the best in the SEC immediately because Mike Leach has never had a quarterback that talented. And they laughed at me. Right. So I don't know if they'll be one of the best in the SEC just because I'm not sure of the adjustment period for Mike Leach into the SEC. But I will say, I mean, it's without question. KJ Costello, like, he wasn't unjustly like a lot of times guys with like toolsy quarterbacks will get talked about as like round one quarterback, like Jordan love this year. Um, you know, like Josh Allen a couple years ago, like just because they have the physical tools, they get talked about as first round picks. KJ Costello has those talents, but he's actually shown consistency at the quarterback position. Yeah. Um, obviously this year was marred by injuries, which was awful for him. Right, um, but I think he's a legitimately spot. good quarterback. Um, yeah, yeah I, like above average college quarterback for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think um, the thing about this year was that look, UCF pushed that offensive line around, and we came to figure out that UCF didn't exactly have a powerhouse defensive line. Um, we thought that they might. And KJ Costello was coming off a head injury in that. Right, dude got his bleep rocked just the week before. We thought he wasn't going to play. Um, and you know, he came back into that game and their offensive line was clearly diminished. And, and if we're going to be totally honest about it, Stanford, the last few years, you know, while KJ Costello has been there is just not the same as it was basically Christian McCaffrey was the last like great player to go through Stanford. I know Bryce love was very good. I do wonder if Bryce love, uh, he, in a weird way, where we felt like Christian McCaffrey was underexposed because he was on the West Coast and we felt like people didn't appreciate him enough. I almost feel like people overcompensated with Bryce Love. Yeah, it was an overcorrection of Right, because like his stats were really good because they ran the ball, you know, a thousand times. That's what Stanford does. They're he did have breakaway speed. I oh, will he give did. Him that. No, yeah. no, no. I, but my point is Bryce Love was not Christian McCaffrey, right? And KJ Costello had... Bryce Love for a little bit, and he had not really any playmakers on the outside. Like, Stanford the last few years hasn't been what it was. Mississippi State, like, as bad as they are, right, as bad of a position as they're in from last year, I still think there's a chance that some of their playmakers are just as good as Stanford's. 
and they got oh, and, go ahead. And to, to to your point, um, Mike Leach. We already said KJ Costello is probably the most talented quarterback he's ever had. Kylan Hill is easily the most talented running back Mike oh. Leach has ever coached. Oh, thousand percent. Like he's about to be playing like without even having to recruit yet. He's about to go in and play with toys that like he's never had. And it's an interesting thing, right? Because ordinarily a coach like Mike Leach that is so well respected as this offensive genius. Um, when you see guys get from one job to the next like this, it, I, it just doesn't feel like it's normally Mike Leach. You know what I mean? I, I feel like ordinarily, uh, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I feel like ordinarily a coach that is going into a situation like Mississippi State is a coordinator that was at Alabama or Georgia, right? Like someone that's been right. that's had the best athletes around them for a number of years. You know, where they've been working with the best and now they have to go in and recruit and build build back up, right? A program that's that's sort of feeling on the down tilt or if you're a coach that's been that great you've already been at the great school. So it's not like the athletes you're going to get to are that much better, right? Sure. Maybe you're an example where, you know, you're Scott Frost and you're climbing from a UCF to a Nebraska where theoretically the athletes should be better. And it hasn't been that case, but, but my point being more, when you're making the jump from one school to the next, it's not, it almost feels like it, it, I, Washington State and Mississippi State are essentially the same thing, except Washington State has never been good except for under Mike Leach, right? And so now all of a sudden he's getting to play around with these athletes even though he's this old coach. Normally the young coaches are the ones stepping into this position is sort of what I'm trying to say. Right. And, um, yeah, exactly. I got kind of lost. I don't know. I, I feel like it's just important to be able to point out that between Costello – the running game and everything else that Mississippi State has to offer, this offense is going to be very successful. Well, they went to your of point. Games, I don't know. To your point, Mike Leach just got there this offseason, and they have the 26th ranked uh, recruiting class in the country. There you uh, go. According to rivals. Right. So, there you go. Yeah. Like, uh, who all wouldn't right. want to play in that offense? And who wouldn't want to play in the SEC, especially if you're from Mississippi or. Especially you know. for a crazy person. Exactly. Uh, Jaron Williams leaving Miami. Uh, that was kind of expected after the De'Ara King thing, I, w- I would say. I so And how they treated him throughout the yeah, year. Yeah, so like here's this thing. A lot of Miami fans, and understandably, were disappointed in Jaron this year. Um, there's a lot of stuff about he skipped practice when he was benched, he, and not even necessarily benched, just like when it was up for debate, he just like dipped. Um you know, he wanted to leave the past off season. A lot of people felt like he sort of didn't prepare the right way going into games, even though he had all this talent. On the flip side, the way that I feel is just incredibly disappointed for Jaron Williams. Um, I think the kid got totally hosed in the way that everything was treated. He came in to play for Mark Rick. Uh, he, after Mark Rick retired, wanted to leave. He wanted to leave the University of Miami. He felt like he didn't get the fair shake the year before when it was fucking Malik Rozier getting most of the playing time and then in Kosi Perry and their season was lost and there was no reason not to play Jaron Williams. He still wasn't playing. Um, he wanted to leave and then Manny Diaz and company and Dan Enos begged him to stay. And then they jerked him around all year long when 
his first three, four games were about as good of a start as a Miami quarterback has had in years. And I had all sorts of people telling me that Jaron Williams was the next, you know, the next great quarterback. Yeah, but the next great quarterback (laughs) in Miami, right? The best quarterback they've had since Brock Berlin, uh, that he was better, you know, that he was the best quarterback in the state. Um, Then he gets jerked around by his coaches after one bad quarter. He threw three picks in a quarter. And look, did he come into that game underprepared? Probably. You know, were they probably frustrated with his work ethic? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But at the same time, I, I feel bad for the kid because essentially he wasted two years um, of his college career and, being and, in Miami. And now he's going to waste another probably sitting out as a right. transfer. And it just, it's a shame for a kid that has a lot of talent who, you know what, had he ended up in the right situation from the beginning, had he had his chance to leave last year without maybe, you know, in some ways he got to show off the good parts of his game this year. He played really well against Florida. Uh, he played pretty well against North Carolina, but at the same time, you know, some of those things now are out there about him that maybe his work ethic wasn't, you know, quite what it needed to be. And maybe that was just butting heads with certain coaches, right? Danny knows clearly wasn't exactly a, a juggernaut of a, a offensive mind. And so, you know, the kids weaknesses are put out there. Maybe he's not going to end up at, at as high a quality of a school for football as he would have if he had gotten to leave last offseason. So it's, and he would have had more eligibility. So it, it's kind of a shame uh, for the kid. And I, I feel bad for him. It was obvious that he would be the quarterback to leave uh, once Rhett Lashley and, and Derek King came in as a pairing. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I feel bad for him. I don't know where he's going to end up, but I actually, I really wish Darren Williams the best wherever he does. All right, let's get into one that I really like. Uh, Chase Bryce, um, obviously the backup from Clemson the, the last couple of years, former five-star quarterback himself. People uh, tend to forget that about him. For real. Um, transferring from Clemson to Duke. Yeah, uh, what an, an in- interesting what an interesting transfer. And so Bryce is kind of, uh, you know, he's not as athletic as Daniel Jones um, because by all accounts, Daniel Jones is actually a freak athlete for somebody his size. Yeah, it's the funniest thing in the world. Uh, yeah, he's the, like the most awkwardly athletic dude of all time, other than Pat Connaughton, who is going to be in the dunk contest this weekend. Is it so? Can I make like a? Nah, it's not the right comparison because it, it, there's a difference between like awkwardly athletic Daniel Jones and and Connington, and then like the Kelly Olynyk, Hunter Pence. Like I don't even know how you play a sport. You're so gawky. Athleticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are different. That's things. a different. That's a different category. Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton was drafted into the MLB. Did you know that? Yeah, my dude is smooth. You know, you know what his vertical is? No, I don't know what his vertical. He is. had the highest vert in the uh, NBA draft combine the year he was drafted. Did he really? Forty-eight inches. Get the what? You know, and he's like six seven. That's okay, crazy. Besides, <laughs> that's besides the point. Okay. All of this is to say that I really like the fit of Chase Bryce and the David Cutcliffe system at Duke. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. And I, I, I'm happy for him, too. Dude, how weird is it that, like, not this upcoming season, because I guess he's probably going to have to sit out, right? But the following no, season... No, he's, a, he's, a, he's eligible immediately. He's oh, a graduate he transfer. Yeah. Oh, shit. So then this year, Duke Carolina football... It might be it's going a to be better bigger than deal than basketball. Yeah, because Carolina basketball have, sucks this year. It's horrific, and so those games, like as cool, that's happening right now. Like we're talking. Did you through, see the hundred year anniversary Duke North Carolina jerseys? 
Oh, it's awesome. You like them. I I think they're terrible. I love everything Duke, North Carolina. You can't make me not like it. I don't care what they do. I I really don't. Back to college football. Okay, but it's all of that is to go around and say, Duke, North Carolina's fun because you got Sam Howell and Chase Bryce. Like Chase Bryce at Duke, they're going to put up some points in the ACC. And, and Duke lost a lot but prior to last season. And it, as is tra- traditional mm. David Cutcliffe fashion, mm. they were still a very competitive team. Oh, well, Duke is, even when they're at their very worst, they always, like, they don't get crazy blown out unless it's against teams, you know, like Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. Right. That's who they get blown out by. But even when they're bad, like I remember in years where they were awful, they were always playing Carolina tough. They were always playing Miami tough. They were always playing FSU tough. Like that's what they do. And now they have a quarterback who's, I mean, after Trevor Lawrence, the ACC has De'Eric King and Sam Howell and then Chase Bryce. That's, that's like, disrespectful. Hennon Hooker at Virginia Tech. There's Malik Cunningham at uh, Louisville. But, but can you tell me 100% that those guys are going to be better than Chase Bryce next year? Um, like, that's tough because I'm excited to see Bryce in This the, is a former five-star recruit who's only not starting at Clemson because Trevor Lawrence exists. Right. Right? right. Like, But we said this – hold on, hold on. To be fair <laughs> – excuse me. Mm-hmm. To be fair, we did say the exact same thing about Hunter Johnson at Northwestern. Okay. And that turned out to be very bad. You're totally right. But I'm just saying pump the brakes a little bit because there is a lot of young no. quarterbacks in the ACC that I like a lot. You're not wrong. Especially, you're right. Malik Cunningham at, at Louisville is really And Hendon Hooker was incredible for Virginia Tech the last especially five, the five or six weeks. Year, yeah. yeah. All right. So maybe I'm getting a little over anxious. I'm, but it's it's not that. It's I not that. I'm just shocked that, that, not shocked, but I just like, wow, there's a lot of good quarterback play in the ACC. Yeah, there's plenty, and it wasn't like that midway through last season. But the 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 strength of the young guys actually playing oh, and better. getting some. And remember, we talked about this in our conference previews last year. Yeah, is that is college football is very cyclical in the fact that conferences become strong when they have good quarterback play. Totally, right? totally. And a lot of times, uh, because of how things work, a lot of good quarterbacks all rise at one time. Well, think about um, it. I mean, yeah. When we all decided, basically, that the SEC was bar none the best conference six, seven years ago, was really like it was. It felt like it was during the Manziel era that we really yeah, officially it was Manziel, decided. Aaron Murray, right? Yeah, like these dudes were all every every single one of those schools had studs at the quarterback position, and then it just hasn't stopped. Like it's been consistent. Dak Prescott so it's not was back there, for them. Yeah. Right. It's not cyclical for them. But for most conferences, you're only as good as your quarterback play, as every team is only as good as their quarterback play. So to see a bunch of good quarterbacks in the ACC makes me sort of excited for ACC football next year. Right. Um, and then two, two last ones, and then we can move on. Uh, yeah. I just put this one in because I love Jet Duffy. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's transferring from Texas Tech to Central Michigan. I don't know what that means for his career, but he's a very good quarterback. And I'm excited that now he has, uh, because I do like Alan Bowman a lot also at Texas Tech. So I'm glad that they kind of broke off and now, you know, they'll both have a chance to shine. Uh, So I really like that pickup for Central Michigan. And then this one was interesting, Jeremy. Uh, Jatavius Whitlow, who has led Auburn in rushing the last two seasons and was the SEC Offensive Freshman of the Year in 2017, uh, has announced that he is transferring from Auburn. I don't really get it. 
You like also don't really see, I feel like, established running backs try to transfer very well, often. Right, that's what I'm you saying. You see, like, first-year running backs that don't get run transfer. Yeah, but I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what's happening there. Like, there's something else. There has to be. Because it doesn't make yeah. any sense. Like, the kid got... Maybe he just doesn't think he'll fit in the Chad Morris kind of scheme. Yeah, and that's possible. I, I, look, he may have sat down with Chad Morris and said, hey, look, what is your running game going to look like? You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. And What's your plan for me? Yeah, what's your plan for yeah. me? And when he got that plan, he decided to make a business decision, right? That's okay. I just do... What I do find strange is... We, we both, you and I both expect Auburn to be very good, right? At least I, at least I do. Um, Say that again. You expect us to th- that Auburn's going to be very good, right? Uh, they'll probably be top fifteen for sure. Right. So that that's a top fifteen team. That even if you're not featured the same amount as you were the previous couple of years, right? In terms of running the ball, maybe you're going to catch the ball a little bit more. Your team's probably going to score more, which means you may very well be scoring more. And it's your last year that you have to be in school. So why not play it out? You know, maybe you're getting less touches, but you're a freak. Like, he's a freak athlete. Then declare for the draft. Go to the NFL draft. Show that you had plenty of production as a freshman and sophomore didn't really run the ball as much as a junior, so you're fresh. You're not used and abused like half the other college running backs. Show out at a combine and still go where you were going to go. Like, I, there, I just feel like there is some more than just like, oh, I might not get quite as many touches as the years before. Right. That's going on. It feels like there's some sort of, you know, maybe he, maybe something like something that we won't ever know about. Yeah. Something we won't ever know about, nor do I honestly care to know about. I'm just like, it, it is a strange decision for Jatavius Whitlow to transfer because he's a really good running back. And so wherever he ends up, they're getting a very good player. Um, And it, it, it'll make it really interesting wherever he does go. All right, Jeremy. Well, these guys, uh, you know, Jatavius Whitlow and Jaron Williams obviously have decisions to make about their future. Uh, signing day just happened, though. It did. And a lot of high school players across the country uh, made decisions in December. It was December was the first signing day, correct? Yeah, I think so. So December and February, uh, two, you know, half recruiting uh, cycles, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have our official rankings on uh, all the different platforms um, for recruiting. Um, on our little Google Doc that I sent you, we have Rivals, 247 Sports, ESPN, and the S&P Plus multi-year yes, uh, recruiting rankings. Um, just the top 15. Uh, I want to start with the just like notable stuff. Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, and Ohio State are in the top five of all five uh, of all four of the metrics that of all four of those websites. It's so silly. Um, that is pretty much what you would have expected, though. Correct? Yeah, I mean, those are the five schools that you always, always, always expect to be right up there. You expect Oklahoma to be nearby, and that's why. You know, when you look at it, that's why those five schools have essentially alternated going to the college football playoff. There, there's always two or three of those five that we just named in the college football playoff every single year. Uh, there were three of them this past year. 
add Oklahoma to it, that's all four. Um, you can go back multiple years, and that's who's going to be there because they're getting the cream of the crop athletes. Um, yeah, so, and, and like I said, the S&P Plus uh, multi-year rankings uh, in, the, in, in order, I'll just do the top 12. Georgia. Explain, I, before, before you go through that, do you want to explain to the people exactly? Yeah, what? so basically what the multi, as far as I understand, the multi-year recruiting rankings go down to uh, just year over year what level you're recruiting at. Mm-hmm. So if you finish with the top five class for three years in a row, your percentile rank in the S&P plus multi-year ranking goes up. Right. Um, so the higher up you are in the S&P plus multi-year rankings, the uh, like the more consistently uh, above average your recruiting classes are. So right. like, let's say for example, just like UCF one year finishes uh, 28th in the ESPN final recruiting rankings. Correct? Right. It's going to skyrocket where they would stand in the S and P multi-year, even though they're, they wouldn't be 28 in that they'd move up from say 55. from like 56 to like 34. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. They'd, they'd take a jump. So this is consistent over a number of years, not, you know, not dating 10 years, but over the last few years, I believe it's like two to three and it just yeah. refreshes at the end. So, um, the top, the top, uh, 12 here, uh, I'll go from 12 to one. Oregon is at 12, uh, the highest ranked Pac-12 team by far, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penn State at 11, Oklahoma at 10, Florida at 9, Texas at 8, Auburn at 7. Uh, and then this is where it gets interesting. Six mm-hmm. is actually Texas A&M. It's crazy. Um, and not only is Texas A&M sixth in multi-year uh, S&P Plus recruiting, they are sixth this year in rivals recruiting rankings. 247 sports recruiting rankings and ESPN's rankings. Um, so that, that we'll, and we'll, we'll talk about Texas A&M next. And then of course the top five, like we mentioned, LSU at five, Clemson at four, Ohio state at three, Alabama at two, Georgia's at one. It is interesting to me that Clemson is below Ohio state, Alabama and Georgia there, just because it feels like they've been recruiting, uh, you know, one or two in the, in every the country. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Every year. But uh, apparently it's it's weighted a little differently, so that 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 to me stuck out. But I also think that the um, separation between the top five teams probably is is razor thin. Yeah, I think the the A and M thing is so interesting to me, um, because you know you got Jimbo, who has always been a very good recruiter. Everybody has like we talked about it when we talked about Auburn being maybe the best. Uh, what was it? Four loss team of all time. And then Texas A&M being the best seven, uh, six loss six team, team of all time. Like, dude, that team lost five or six games this past year, and they're sixth in recruiting rankings. Like, clearly, you know, they've convinced everyone, look, we're not far away. Look at the teams that we lost to. It's the ones in the top five, and we lost all those games relatively close. So you come yeah, in and, and speaking- play, and you know what I mean? Like, you come in and play, and we're going to be, you know, we're going to be that team. Speaking to that directly – um, from at Texas, uh, Tex Ags on Twitter, which I believe is their official, um, no, it is not official. It is the largest online Aggie community and number hmm. one news source for Texas A&M football, recruiting, basketball, baseball, and more hashtag gigum. Um, hashtag gigum. <laughs> this is, uh, their <laughs> end of the day signing day recap. Uh, strap in for this one, Jeremy. Okay. Texas A&M. Uh, this recruiting cycle signed 
the number one wide receiver in Texas, okay. the number one defensive back in Texas, the number one quarterback in Texas, the number one defensive end in Florida, the number one linebacker in Louisiana, the number one defensive tackle in Mississippi, the number one linebacker in Missouri, the number one defensive end in New Jersey, the number one defensive tackle in New Jersey, the number one wide receiver from North Carolina, the number one defensive back in the state of Illinois, and the number one offensive lineman from the state of Arkansas. That's horrifying. So, and that's insane. And let me, that is insane. The, the, one of the biggest things that was talked about when Texas A&M left the big 12 for the sec was that, holy shit, there is a Texas team in the Southeastern conference. Exactly. And it was particularly for this reason, because Texas just in general, you can recruit the state of Texas, right? Like right. you're power five premium team in the state of Texas. Right. Um, you have that. But now that you're in the SEC and you're touching all of these states, you're going to be traveling to these states. You can sell recruits from Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Arkansas, Kentucky, um, Alabama. It's where, so, where it's literally the, the best recruiting area in the country. That's why the SEC teams are what they are. But now you can sell them on, hey, you're still going to get to play in front of your family once or twice a year just based on the schedule alone. Um, and yeah. now that they have Jimbo Fisher at the helm, who is actually trying again, <laughs> um, yeah, this exactly. is the sort of thing that, that you could see. Now the question becomes is, will it ever be enough to unseat Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Auburn? Well, in my mind, you have the right guy at the helm to do it. If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, Texas A&M is a team to keep an eye out for heading into next season. Yeah, I think uh, my answer is always the same. Whenever they get their star quarterback, that's when they'll do it. And once they do it once, then we'll see if they can do it multiple times, right? Because that's that's the key is Texas A&M, even on their own, has been the one to do that, right? Where with Johnny Manziel, they were taking down the juggernauts. Um, but they couldn't they do it consistently. Like, yeah, Right, because exactly. they couldn't do it consistently. They could only take down one and then they lose to the other. Um, now, those teams were not, Kevin Sumlin was not doing what Jimbo just did. Um, recruiting wise, those teams were, I mean, they were great, but they were not as deep as, as what we're describing. They were, they were top 15 to 10 yeah. recruiting classes. Right, this but is they were top not, six. Yeah. And, and, and essentially could be top five, right? Like it's, it's that level. It, they're number six across the board, which means you can make it a top six, right? And after as that, much as I love, good. as much as I love Kevin Sumlin, it's inarguable that Jimbo's coaching Jimbo's a better coach. is, yeah. yeah. Come on, it's, he's just it's a better coach. So whenever he gets his quarterback, maybe for a year or two, he will be the guy that comes out of his side of the conference. But I, will he be so, able to do that consistently? And right. I don't know, man. I mean, the SEC, obviously, at the top, is as good as football as you could possibly find. And so it becomes really difficult. But I, but I think that's when we see them have a quarterback that is just producing at one of those, you know, at a Jameis Winston rate, right? Where if he gets his Jameis Winston, then what? You know, then how do they do it? And so that's, that's interesting to me because I have a little bit of a way, way too early hot take for you. Let's hear it. 
Kellen Mond is going into a senior season. Kellen Mond is good. I like Kellen Mond a lot. I mean, they lose Courtney Davis and uh, the other great receiver that they have whose name is escaping me right now. But the defense should be better. They played a lot of young guys this year. Right. LSU is losing a once in a history of college football quarterback. They're two coordinators and a bunch of pieces on offense and defense. Right. Alabama is losing Tua, Jerry Judy, uh, and a bunch of guys on defense, uh, Xavier McKinney, all those kinds of guys. Auburn, who knows what Auburn's going to be with Chad Morris calling the offense. Is there a reason to think that Texas A&M can't come out of the West or be the second best team in the West next season? No, I don't think that that's insane. Are we going to be that podcast? Uh, I don't know if I want to be a pro Texas A&M podcast, but it's just something <laughs> to keep an eye out on. It's something to think about. We're just asking questions. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the Pac-12, Jeremy. Let's do it. Oregon and Washington continue to out-recruit everyone in the Pac-12. As, but, they, as they should. But Arizona State just dominated uh, recruiting in, in California. Which is – um, we were talking about this the other – what the fuck? Like, why? <laughs> it doesn't even – I don't – whatever. It, go ahead and continue. So Arizona State finished with the 25th best recruiting class. Right. Um. Let, let, with so and the only reason they finished so far down is because they only signed 20 kids um most schools sign like 26 ish right yeah so that affects that like your star ranking and your points or whatever right listen listen to this jeremy i'm listening they signed chad johnson jr uh actually is this actually chad johnson's son do you know this dude i have no i thought i thought chad johnson lived down here in miami yeah so he while you talk through this, I'll look up Chad Johnson Jr. Yeah, four-star wide receiver from California. That was their highest-ranked recruit, according to Rivals. Um, they've got Jordan Banks, a linebacker from Harbor City, California, four-star. Omar Norman Lott, a defensive tackle from Sacramento, California, four-star. Uh, running back Daniel Nagata from Folsom, California, four-star. Elijah Badger, uh, Folsom, California, four-star. Uh, yeah, uh, a wide receiver named um, <clears throat> LaVon Bonkley Shelton, who was the number 10 ranked player in California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he signed as a wide receiver, four-star. Uh, Johnny Wilson, Jr., uh, a wide receiver from Calabasas, four-star. Man. Uh, Edward Woods, defensive back from Oakland, four-star, signed him. So... Arizona State went into UCLA, Cal, and uh, USC's backyard and took all of their players, basically. That's unbelievable. And, yes, it is Chad Johnson Jr., like Chad Ochocinco. Yeah, so Herm Edwards, um, which was a hire that was panned uh, pretty much uh, like countrywide when it happened, seems to be paying off. He's crushing it, dude. He's crushing it. It's bizarre. And so that was the th- that was the thing. A lot of people, when he was hired, it, the question was, how is he going to connect to eighteen year old kids? Apparently, because he's he seemed doing like, it. right, exactly, because it seemed like he was kind of one of those out of touch old guys who was, you know, stuck you think- in his ways. But I- it seems like it, whatever he's selling, it's working. I kind of wonder, did was he playing a character on TV? Like, yeah, but I, I would argue that his TV persona to me is might be what's helping him sell on these kids. Well, it's sure. because he was always that enthusiastic, 
Well, right. Uh, no, so he was so, always very good at speaking and, and no, getting but it's people not about fired that. up. Right. So it's not about that. It's not. It's not that he could do that. But did they want him to play basically the straight man when he was there? Right, because right, that's what he was. Gotcha. He was yelling at you know. He was almost doing the and I don't want to not in the but it, he the, was like the Lou Holtz of their NFL well, coverage almost. Yeah, I was gonna say like he was like the old Bill Cosby telling kids to pull up their sagging pants type deal, which I don't want to talk about Bill Cosby, but that's what I'm essentially trying to say is like Herm Edwards was out there like being that guy, like hey, it's about like Tony Dungy. Yeah, he was doing that, yeah. but in a fiery way. And I almost wonder if they basically just had him playing a character because he could do it. You know, he was going to be fiery no matter what. And they're like, hey, Hearn, do, do, do us a favor. Be the guy that, like, lectures people about, you know, the right choices. Because, you know, and, and maybe, you know, he believes those things. But maybe he's finding he's more relatable to young people than we thought. Like, maybe he was more up on pop culture and all that. We just felt like he was the old guy because of the stuff that they always had him out there to talk about. At the end of the day, he was out there because he was an ex-coach. So it's, hey, tell us about the old days. You know, maybe he really is just a lot younger in his sort of um, in his sort of ideals than we think. You know, and so he's clearly. Can I give you a? Can I give you a theory too? Do it. I bet he's very good with the recruits' parents. Oh yeah. Like if Herm Edwards is coming and he's like, I'm going to take care of your son. I'm going to – we're going to make sure he's up on his academics. We're going to make sure he's yep. – and plus, all that being said, Arizona State is not a hard place to sell to kids. Oh, no. No, Arizona That's, State um, party town, dude. Party town, USA. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like this whole um, – to me, Arizona State's recruiting success can be it, – it, it's almost a result of a lot of different things happening at once. The Pac-12 as a whole is kind of shitty right now, outside of Oregon and, and Washington, as we mentioned. Uh, USC particularly is down, which helps other schools get into California and start taking recruits, like we mentioned. Herm has that kind of fiery personality. The mm-hmm. team is winning. <laughs> they have an exciting young quarterback in Jaden Daniels. It's a great school. Uh, one of the, It is, with UCF, like the biggest school in the country. Yeah, and party So school. you can sell that. They're on TV all the time, even though it's at, you know, 1030 – Eastern right, but if time. they're West Coast kids, what is that? But matter? if they're recruiting West Coast kids, they're right. kids, exactly. And so I think they're benefiting from a, a confluence of events. And Herm Edwards, right, like, uh, is piloting the ship as well as he can in this perfect time for it to be happening. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's great for him, and it's cool for the Pac-12. Like, it's cool to have the team out there. You know, in the desert, in the yeah. desert, like doing stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I think that's kind of a good thing, right? You got Washington and Oregon that are super Pacific Northwest. You want SoCal with USC, but to have one of the teams out in the desert doing something like this, it, it's good for the conference, I think. Exactly. Uh, speaking right. of, of good for the conference, not USC. They're terrible. Uh, anyway, we can move to other schools. Oh, we're going to get to USC towards the end because All right. it's the. Um, all right, so Arizona State obviously doing great in recruiting. Uh-huh. I wanted to mention a couple of schools uh, that are traditional powers that despite having some down years, some of them have had multiple down years, they still finished with uh, top 20-ish level recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida State, Miami especially, I feel like um, Texas always recruits well. Um, Stanford and Nebraska also top 20, uh, recruiting classes, according to rivals or 25. Um, Nebraska is at 17. 
Yeah, here. Hold on. Listen to this. Tennessee was the seventh-ranked recruiting class, according to rivals. Yeah, which is wild. Miami was the 12th-ranked recruiting class. Texas was 13th. North Carolina was 16th. Nebraska was 17th. Florida State, 19th. Stanford, 23rd. We stand North Carolina. Uh, I, I don't get it. Like, it, am I wrong to not get it? Like, I get Florida State and Miami. I get the premise of wanting to go play at those schools. I guess I get Texas. But why Stanford, Nebraska, and Tennessee, especially Tennessee, honestly, being that high, considering the lack of success they've had, why those schools continue to recruit at this rate boggles my mind. And even then, why would, like, I get the appeal of a theoretical Miami. Right, like like the fake Miami that exists. That's like the WWE glamorized version of what Miami is. Like two thousand one, like when you watch the documentary Miami. But why you want to go play there at the given moment is surprising to me, unless the pitch is come be a part of the change. But that's been the pitch for like a twenty years. And so it's so confusing to me. I mean, I guess a big thing that shifted that for them was they got the number two safety in the country. He flipped from UF yesterday. Right. Um, yeah, that was huge. And I think that skyrocketed their rankings that otherwise would have been really solid, but not as unexplainable. Because um, you get a player that's that high up and it's going to move you up significantly. They also benefit. Miami's going to benefit next year from their two big transfers, one on offense and one on defense as oh, well. Absolutely. They're two best players. Arguably. I mean, that doesn't factor into their recruiting rankings per se, but you do have to consider those guys as recruits. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, De'Ara King will be their best player. And Roche will be their, maybe their second best player on defense. If you look at the other side of, you know, the other side of the line, it's Greg Rousseau. But, Greg Rousseau is a fucking animal. No, dude. he's a beast. Their, their defensive line is going to be, it's sick with the two of them on the ends. It's sick. They're both first round yeah, picks. Good luck like, blocking those guys. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to do it. Like, if Miami does, like Miami should be one of the five best defenses in the country just because of that. Like I don't even care how weak they are elsewhere, just because of those two guys. Like how do you stop? Whatever doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, I, I, these schools continue to recruit at a high rate. The most fascinating thing to me is Stanford and Nebraska of all of the teams that we named, um, because they've been doing this for years and continue to struggle. And so Stanford- I don't know if that shows a flaw in the system of recruiting or if that shows just how bad the coaching has been. Right. And it's weird to say the coaching has been bad because it's David Shaw and Scott Frost. Right. Who who are regarded as two of the top 20 coaches in the, in the country. Right. So what's the issue? Like, what are we, what, what is, what is the recruiting ranking? I find it. I find it fascinating that Stanford continues to finish in the top 25 of recruiting, considering the uh, constraints I'll say that they have with academics and, and who they can, who they can sign and who they can't sign based Absolutely. off of that. Absolutely. Um, Nebraska, it's obvious uh, with how they finished again in recruiting that their play of extending Scott Frost and giving him that extended runway helped. Yeah. Uh, because there was a worry that if they didn't do that extension, uh, other teams could say, hey, man, I, you know, I don't know, Scott. Like, 
Scott's selling you on Nebraska, but Scott might not be there in a year and a half, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so that vote, that, that boat of confidence has definitely helped them. Um, and I just put those teams on the list cause I thought it would be interesting. Like you said, uh, to, to delve into the psychology of why you would end up there. Um, but I mean, with the coaches in place, like at Florida state, Mike Norvell, I believe in Mike Norvell, Miami to me it, of this cluster of teams has recruited the best. Um, but I believe in Manny Diaz the least. Yes. Um, Texas <laughs> That's has the perfect way to do it. That's the perfect way to say Texas it. has, um, goodness gracious. What now Texas coach's name is escaping my mind. Tom Herman. Todd Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Todd Herman. Um, Tom Herman. I'm sorry. Tom Herman. You're good. Tom Herman. I believe in, they still have Sam Ellinger for one more year. Yep. Um, Stanford has David Shaw and David Shaw is one of my favorite coaches in college football. I believe in David Shaw. Yeah. I believe that last year was an enigma and I believe that they will get back to at least eight wins this season. Um, if they can figure it all out and Nebraska, I would probably have them last in terms of uh, second to last in terms of coach confidence, just because it feels like frost is so overwhelmed by everything that's happening. Yeah. But at the same time, they're still recruiting at such a high level and at a level higher than what he was getting here at UCF that I just believe that eventually it has to with work the, with the event, with the advancement and talent that he is receiving, it should work at some point. Yeah, but until that to. happens, I just have to have them second to last in this group. I feel like, I don't know. These teams are all so conflicting. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if any of these teams that we're mentioning had great seasons the next year. But I felt the same way last year. I thought Nebraska so was going to compete on their side of the Big Ten. I thought Stanford could win the Pac-12. I thought Miami would possibly win the Coastal. There's no way Florida State should have been as bad as they were. Look and we all thought Texas about. was going to be opposite Oklahoma in the yeah. Big 12 championship. And yet yeah. we're sitting here and we're having the same conversation that we've been having year after year after year about these schools. And it's weird because I, I feel even less confident about Texas going into next year than I did last year. Right. Which because of be the better. other schools in their conference. Right. And that means they'll be better. Right. I mean, I just <laughs> – and I know we've mentioned it, and they're not on anywhere on here, but yeah. I would say it's going to be good next year. I'm just going to say it again. Just say it. Brock Purdy has. Uh, all um, right. So there were some pleasant surprises um, and obviously some disappointments, but some of the pleasant surprises that you have listed on here. You want to get going through those? Yeah. So um, Georgia Tech. Yeah. According to Rivals, finished with the 25th best recruiting class in the country. It's so awesome. They finished – they finished with the fifth best class in the ACC. That's uh, they recruited. They recruited better than Louisville, North Carolina State, Pitt, Syracuse, Virginia, Duke, Wake Forest, Boston College, and Virginia Tech. That's wild to me. Yeah, that's, it's that's great. Wild. I and this this kind of speaks to uh, a, a theme that a lot of people have been talking about with Georgia Tech, uh, especially late in the um, in the um, in the triple option years, mm -hmm. was when a coach who understands the layout of Atlanta and understands the draw of Atlanta and the swag of Atlanta. Once they get a coach who understands that and moves towards yeah. a more traditional college Atlanta. football type system yeah. in Atlanta, that is going to be, you know, recipes for success. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. And if you look at all of the biggest prospects 
that Georgia Tech signed, they are kids who were five hours away from Atlanta, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles Brooks and Jeffrey Sims are their two biggest recruits, both from Jacksonville. Right. Uh, Jamar Gibbs, another four-star that they signed. Um, they Bryce Gowdy, a use, wide receiver. They need to use Atlanta for what it is. You exactly. I mean? And, it, like, I and think Jeff Collins so, is doing that. Well, it's so funny because, no joke, I, man, during college, I made my sophomore year, took a trip to Atlanta. I was just driving around the city and stumbled upon Georgia Tech and went, Georgia Tech's in Atlanta? <laughs> like, I've watched Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech play football for many, many years, play baseball for that matter, for years. They're always a pretty good baseball program. Not once has it been like thrown in my face enough. Georgia Tech is in Atlanta for that to stick with me. That's insane that a football program would not throw around or the Atlanta school more often. Right. right? Like that should be the whole brand should just be ATL. Like that should be it because that's cool. Like it's, you know, not coming from me means nothing, but it's hip hop. And it's, it's like, I can't imagine. And it's one of the fastest growing cities in America. Like it's one of the coolest cities to have a college in it. You know what I mean? Like New York has NYU, but there's not football there. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and Chicago, bro, what are you talking about? Shut up. In Chicago, actually, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure my girlfriend's uh, brother-in-law played, was a kicker at Fordham. Uh, I might Jesus be wrong. Christ. I might be wrong about the, the school, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Nonetheless, uh, you know, even Chicago doesn't really have a football program, right? Like they have Northwestern, right? So why isn't Georgia Tech taking advantage of the ATL? Like, why isn't that something that they're doing more? Um, you know, so I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, their top recruits here are all dudes that are coming from close enough to really know what Atlanta's about. And speaking to that, um, they signed... They have 24 commitments, but only 23 kids have signed so far. Of those 23 that have signed, 20 of the kids are from Florida or Georgia. Sure. So, I mean, yeah. Jeff Collins is doing a great job recruiting. Um, I liked what I saw from the transition from the triple option last year. It sure. still might take another year uh, before they are fully like a, a functioning power five team, mm-hmm. but if you're a Georgia Tech fan, there is no reason to not be excited about what's happening. You I don't care be, if they win four games optimistic. next year. You, you should be super optimistic about what's happening. Exactly. I totally agree. Totally, totally, totally um, agree. Real quick, because we talked about Georgia Tech and we're talking about, um, you know, surprises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia Tech finished fifth in the ACC in recruiting. Do you want to guess where Virginia Tech finished in the ACC in recruiting? Oh, man, I have no idea. Dead last. Really? Dead last uh, in, in recruiting. Um, so, not good. Yeah. <laughs> just, just flat <laughs> out, that's analysis. just not good. <laughs> that's just not going to do uh, it. Uh, it's not going to get it done. Uh, all right, so other pleasant surprise. We already talked about Arizona State. Um, you mentioned North Carolina finished uh, 16th in recruiting. 16th in recruiting in the country, third overall in the ACC behind only Clemson and Miami. And, you know, finishing behind Clemson is whatever. As far as I'm concerned, they finished second in the ACC. In- yeah, for real, right? Um, 
but you add this uh, momentum of what happened last season with all of the young players who did extremely well. Dude, they're so good. And, you know, this is what happens. Um, they Carolina. signed uh, – yeah. <laughs> it, it, they it, signed – Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. they signed they signed nine more four stars this year, including another four star quarterback. Right. Um, and Jacoby Criswell. Uh they added uh Rosman Sinclair, a defensive back, uh, an athlete, Ray Rose, six three, two oh five from North Carolina. Like they they signed guys who could impact on day one. Yep. Or they could, you know, red shirt and then contribute when the team is actually in legitimate conference championship contention which with sam howell now could be as soon as this season coming up or next season yeah it's um they're gonna be really good like mac brown did it like and it's it's exactly and it's exactly like the same sort of circumstances mm -hmm. as arizona state oh to an eerie degree fun of it dude we made so much fun of just like we did with arizona state and herm edwards right so much fun of it and we thought we and we said even when they signed sam howell we were like yo that guy might be sweet but i don't think that that they're gonna be very good and yet six and six their combined losses were by like what like it was like 21 points in the six losses like something crazy like that they blew out temple absolutely annihilated them in the bowl game and they have, you know, the second best quarterback or third best quarterback in the ACC with Trevor Lawrence and De'Ara King in the conversation. You know, the two schools that they got out recruited by within the conference. They're right there. They could win the Coastal. And it just has me leading up to the most frustrating heartbreak in week one of, of UNC beating UCF and just like weirdly rubbing it in my face. Um, this disturbing level of, of irony <laughs> in that. Yeah, the irony there is so thick. It's, it, it's it ridiculous. Hurts. It hurts. Um, Meech has a lot of blackmail that I may or may not have sent him myself. Uh, oh, yeah. If, if North Carolina <laughs> beats UCF, I'm going to unload the clip, dude. It's going to be wild. Uh, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, they, they are feasting off of the same sort of circumstances that Arizona State is in yeah. the Pac-12, yeah. where the ACC is down as a conference, and particularly Florida State, Miami – um, and I guess maybe Louisville and Virginia Tech would be the next teams in that tier. Other right. than Clemson, the, the best teams in the ACC are underperforming. Right. And Mac Brown and his staff are selling that to kids and saying, hey, you can come play here, and things are looking up for us. So, yep. Yep. you know. All right, last surprise, <laughs> uh, pleasant surprise, and then we'll, we'll end it. Um, I think we actually know we have one more thing. Um, South Carolina. Um, they were not necessarily great this year, but they had moments. They beat Georgia, obviously. Uh, they have Ryan Holinsky at quarterback, who we both thoroughly enjoy. Love. Um, they're going to put more kids in the NFL this year. Javon Kenlaw is going to probably end up being a top 10 pick. Right. And for as erratic a coach as he is, Will Muschamp is a tremendous recruiter. Dude recruits. I don't um, get it. I don't get it, but... Yeah, I mean, they signed um, – they, they did a good job of holding on – they do a good job of holding on to in-state kids, uh, even with Clemson uh, being in-state with them. Um, getting Jordan Birch, uh, the defensive end from Columbia, uh, he was considering going to Clemson or Georgia. And yeah. to hold on to him, a five-star in their own city, huge. Huge. Uh, is huge. 
Um, they got another uh, four-star quarterback. They have they went into Maryland and signed a five-star uh, running back in Marshawn Lloyd. Um, I don't know if it will contribute directly to wins because Florida and Georgia and even Kentucky to a degree are recruiting so well, and even Tennessee for that matter, yeah. are recruiting so well and have had recent success. But if you're a South Carolina or Kentucky fan, you have to be happy with what's happening. Considering Absolutely. all things considered, because they're in the exact opposite of the Arizona State uh, UNC issue where all of the good teams in their conference are performing well, but right. they are still keeping their head above water in recruiting. And it's contributing to getting those upset wins and also staying bowl eligible and around the six to nine win mark every year. That's the part of it that's so bizarre is that they're, they're sort of keeping their, I guess, keeping themselves afloat is essentially it's where the they're thing, at. Like, it's the thing, too, that used to annoy people about SEC fans where they say, oh, if you dropped mid-tier SEC team into blank conference, they would compete to win the conference. I actually think that's true with a team like South yeah. Carolina. Well, it's what we've talked about. Like, I think South Carolina... Like, they wouldn't win the ACC, but, but South Carolina but could win be. the ACC Coastal. Yeah, well, and I think South Carolina, like, they've figured out what their expectations need to be. You know what I mean? Like, Will Muschamp maybe ends up being their coach for the next 15 years. You know what I mean? Like, if they're comfortable with bowl eligible every year and sometimes they're winning nine games and if they have a really magical season, maybe they'll win 10 or, like, right. go to a conference title. You know what I mean? mean like, they, The good thing about South Carolina is unlike Mississippi State, where Mississippi State kind of got disillusioned by who they truly are as a program right. due to the Dan Mullen era. Yeah. South Carolina had some magical, like, late years with Steve yeah, Spurrier, Spurrier. But it doesn't feel like they believe that that to be, the, like, right. their consistent year that, in, year out. And I think that's what you're speaking to. That's what I – yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, that's exactly – they know, oh, those were fluke years. What we really are is about six to eight wins in this conference. If we're at eight consistently, which they've been at seven or eight most years – you know, we'll feel good about it. And for them to be comfortable with that, like I actually appreciate that about what South Carolina is doing and saying, you know what, we're a good football program and we're going to compete in most games. And teams don't really want to play us because we're always going to be good on defense. And you know what? We're all right with that. Like that's okay. Not every program is should be shooting to be the very best in their conference. Like be realistic about what you are. You know what I mean? South Carolina is good in every sport. They're a champion. We're multiple-time champion in baseball. They're always pretty solid in basketball. They're solid in football, and they're okay with that. And, like, I kind of appreciate that about their athletic program. All right. And then, Jeremy, let's close with the group of five recruiting. Uh, we're just going to go the top five um, yeah. just because that's kind of our brand for the podcast. And, again, that, this uh, is according to rivals. This is according to rivals. Yeah. We're using rivals just because I trust them more. I have no reason to trust them more. I just like the way their website is laid out better than 247. Correct. Um, and ESPN, of course, has everything behind their goddamn paywall, so they can go to hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, group of five recruiting, according to rivals. Fifth is FAU at 68th. Um, ECU, 65th, mm -hmm. um, which is coincidentally one spot ahead of one USC Trojans. How East Carolina out-recruited USC. It's they the should most, hang – ECU should hang a fucking banner. They should hang that. a banner. Just, they should hang a banner. Also, <laughs> also, 
Holton Allers uh, and Mike London at ECU. I'm ECU is going to be fun next year. I can't wait to watch them play. I love that. Speaking <laughs> speaking of a team that we hold clo- clo- uh, close to our hearts, Tulane finished third in Group of Five recruiting at 64th. Yep. Um. So Willie Fritz reloads Shout a little bit after Fritz. what was a which was a good year for them and did a little bit disappointingly, but started off very strong and I hope they can carry that momentum into next season. And then Jeremy, where we really care about us UCF second at 54th and Cincinnati way up at 39th, uh, which was buoyed by signing three, four star recruits. So I have, I have some questions. Cincinnati. Why can Cincinnati out recruit UCF? It makes no sense to me that they should be out recruiting them by that point. Like so, and this is my thing. If you look at the year over the the S and P plus multi-year rankings, mm -hmm. Cincinnati, uh, not Cincinnati, Tulane and ECU both had two of the top five jumps of teams in multi-year recruiting this year. Yeah, UCF finished in the bottom five. Of multi-year recruiting, and this speaks to um, a problem that I, We've you, been and I have about from the very beginning. Right, is that Josh Heupel has Sucks. been feasting off of what was left over from the Scott Frost era, right. the momentum of the Scott Frost era, and now that that luster has lo- has lost its shine a little bit. Right, they go down. They are starting to fall back to late uh, mid mid-years Georgia Leary levels. Yeah, I mean, like, look, they're still the second-best group of five recruiting, right? Like, now, I did see one that had them at seventh, and I think that was the 247 composite. So it's all it's all fluid. But... I think we, once you get down into past the top 25, too... Yeah, it's really rankings, difficult. It's really it's, difficult. You're just in the weeds at that point. But, yeah. you know, say they're a top five group of five recruiting, right, in general. That, to me, doesn't feel acceptable, actually. Like, they no, should be- especially because of, especially because of the money and the um, the re- well, look, it's resources, given, given, but it's also the attention. Right, given the attention, right. the recent success, the undefeated seasons, the new athletics village that's being built, spending millions of dollars on that. Right, the the spending and the location. Right, and then the location. It makes no sense to me that you should be thoroughly out-recruited by Cincinnati. It makes no sense. And all that shows me is that Josh Heupel is a horrific recruiter. Like, if he can't take advantage, and, like, that doesn't make him a bad coach. I'm not sitting here, I'm not sitting here going crazy. No, being a bad coach, being a bad coach makes him a bad coach. Right, right. But, but <laughs> that's a separate conversation. But what I'm saying is, how can you – at UCF, after three straight 10-win seasons, after finishing in the top 25 again, after having back-to-back undefeated seasons before, not be recruiting in at least a top 40 level every single year. It makes exactly. absolutely no sense to me. Because like you, you said. can't find a way to do that. If Cincinnati is in the top 40, because that's normally the excuse. is like, well, you know, the group of five, we simply don't have the same type of resources. That'd be fine if you were still finishing as the number one recruiting class in the group of five every year but I don't think he's done it once. I think this is his third class, and I don't believe he's done it once. He's not finished first in the AAC. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. How? How? How is that possible? And Given not the location only... and the recent success and attention, 
How are you not capitalizing on that more? You're recruiting the state of Florida. The state of Florida, there's studs everywhere. And even if it's like you say where it's like, oh, you're getting the scraps of what's left over from Florida, Florida State, Miami. That should be 40th. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense to me. So, I, I, I get very, I know that it's like, oh, they're second in group of five and you're complaining? Yeah, I'm complaining. Like, I'm, I'm nervous. Well, not only it. that, because UCF as a program and as a university yeah. has pushed the narrative that they believe themselves to be capable of jumping to the power five. Right. And if and you if, believe that you cannot be recruiting at a top 50 level, no, you, you have to be not. recruiting at a top 30 level. Yeah, you have to absolutely. be recruiting at a top 25 level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand, like you said, the group of five limit, like put some limitations on that. But what I will say is that due to the way that television is now set up mm-hmm. due to the location, due to the no success, sense. due to the investments that the university has made, there is no excuse 54th is where they're at in rivals. Like you mentioned, in 247, they are much lower. They are the 75th ranked recruiting class on it's crazy. 247 sports. That's insane. That should not be happening. That's unacceptable. And for all of the things that people, when you and I trash Josh Heupel on Twitter, which I do more <laughs> frequently than you do. Yeah, I try not to. When I do it, people always hit me with, oh, but he's still recruiting well. And he's well, not, the, the results are in. He's not fucking doing well, that. And the other part of it that's interesting to me in regards to the recruiting is like, I'm the first one to say that basically after the top, you know, five to 10 recruiting classes, the rest of it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but it, that's where, because, and I agree with you to an extent, but that's where being a good coach matters. And he well, is right. not a good coach. Well, right. So there's this fine line between like, okay, you know, what's really the difference between 30 and 50? Like really? We don't really know. The yeah, Scott it's Frost, like it's that first the difference. Scott, but the first group, yeah. the first Scott Frost group, actually both Scott Frost groups were not. I think they were both at like it was like sixty and then fifty-five. And there's been superstars on in both of those groups, college football superstars that have come out of both of those groups, and for that matter, NFL players that have come out of both of those groups. I'm the first guy to say that I don't think that stars are always completely relevant or predictive of how good a player will be. That said, like, you just can't be recruiting at that level. Like, and there's a everybody's certain threshold recruiting you have to meet if you want to compete. Exactly. And you got to pass a certain threshold. And, like, yeah, are they on the bottom end of that threshold? Sure. But, like, they should be bursting through that threshold without much difficulty. Considering I, the attention, the resources that have been poured in the last few years. And the, the swag. Like, it's a, it's a swag great university. Exists. The swag. It's an awesome exactly. university. Like, the, the guys. And I know we're coming from a. We're, we're coming from a place of extreme bias, no, but, but it but is a gr- it is a tremendous university. Well, but that's but that's the whole thing. We've been there. Like we are, if we can recruit you to UCF, if I could be, I'm constantly convincing convincing high school kids that have been friends with my brother or family friends or whatever. I probably convinced five different people to go to UCF just being like, "Yo, it's dope," and they're like, "All right." If I can do that, why can't you convince some three star football player to go there? Like, right. that's crazy. If I'm doing a better job of recruiting based off their academics, which are ranked like 150th in the country, you were ranked top 25 the last three years. Hey, don't, don't mention the academic ranking because that makes my degree look worse. <laughs> no, but you know what? I also think those academic rankings are kind of lame because it, yeah, whatever. But nonetheless, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if I can throw a school at you and just, if I can describe the things that are going to be really positive about the academics and the experience and convince kids that are really, really bright to go to that school, why can't you convince some three-star football recruit who lives 45 minutes away to go there? Like, I just yeah. don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. 
And it become, oh. and this is my last thing, and then we can end the show. Yeah. It becomes a problem when the recruiting ranking slips and the coach isn't good enough to make up for that difference. Because, yes, like, you met, like we've mentioned multiple times throughout this season, the reason UCF lost the close games this year is because when it comes down to the margins, uh-huh. coaching is the difference. Totally. And so when the margins become wider by themselves naturally because you are recruiting less talented players, yep. the coach has to do his damnedest to close that gap. And there is not a coach in the group of five, in particular the American, that I am less confident can bridge <laughs> that gap than Josh Heupel. And that, that, that's oh, the end yeah. of my rant. All right. Not a single coach in the whole group of five, huh? Not one. <laughs> All right. I, in uh, all seriousness, uh, in all seriousness, when we do our AAC preview, I want I want to write a list down of the coaches in the conference, and we need to have an honest conversation with ourselves where you would rank Josh Heupel. <laughs> Good lord. Okay, I, that's how we should end this pod. I think that's perfect. Somehow we went from starting with Wolf of Wall Street to ending with a Josh Heupel teardown, which I think is exactly what we should be doing. Uh, well, I we hope you guys as enjoyed, is tradition as is tradition. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, we will be back probably in about a month or so um, with our next one. This time for real in like a month. Yeah, yeah. this time for real in like a month or so. Um, we wanted to come back for this one. We, we also miss each other dearly. Uh, so, yeah, this was a cool opportunity to, to kind of get a chance to come back with you guys, but we really will be back in like a month. Let me just go ahead. I'm just going to do this for anybody that got this far. You clearly care about me, right? Uh, go subscribe also to Swings and Mishes. Um, it's the Miami Marlins podcast that I do. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably also listened to that already. Um, but go subscribe to Swings and Mishes. So also. who is this message for then? Yeah, I guess I mean, I, I, if there's a person that li- maybe your family, that listens to this, uh, that doesn't listen to Swings and Mishes, even just go subscribe so I get the downloads. Like, that's all I'm asking for uh, because, you know, baseball season's about to start up, and I think we've got some really cool stuff going at Swings and Mishes. And, you know, we have some pretty cool advertisers over there that can help me make some money. So I'd love if you listen to that, listen about our advertisers, and uh, help me survive. So, yeah, college football. You have a new cat to feed. So. Yeah, I have a new kitty to feed, folks. All right, Meech. You gonna let that one. cat starve, people? Yeah, don't let, let don't, don't let the cat starve. <laughs>